Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Today is going to be part two, uh, part two of a series called Committed in 2016. Committed in 2016. And uh, I'll tell you that the premise of this series is simply this. God gets involved with people who are committed to him. He gets involved in those lives. And so the hope and the expectation is that over the next 12 months, that we would be more committed in pursuing God than we ever have before. More consistent in every single area. In turn, the Lord gets involved more than he ever has. I don't know how your 2015 was. Um, my 2015 was a very good year. Uh, within my family, we had a great year. Um, we, have, we had a lot of memories. Celebration Church, uh, when we had our end-year business meeting uh, with our business team, we noticed that in every single area of Celebration, things are going incredibly well. So we had a really good year. But when I finished the year, as I shared this before, I was exhausted, just incredibly tired. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, it's January in a couple weeks, and i got to do this all over again. we got to pump and prime the well all over again. I don't know about you, but I finished the year tired. Did anyone else finish the year tired? Come on. Just like, ah. For those of you that didn't, would you lie to make us feel well? <laughs> just go, whoo! Boy, was that tough. Uh, it, was just, it, it was just tiring. And I just felt the Spirit of the Lord, and this is for everyone here. For those of us that finished the year tired, for those of us who finished the year feeling refreshed, this is a word for everyone here. I just felt like the Lord spoke to me, not out loud, but just right here in my heart. Less effort, more results. Less effort, more results. Does that sound good to anybody here? Less effort, more results. And I just want you to know that that is the Lord's desire for you. See, the Lord's desire is to bless you and to prosper you. That's his desire. He wants you to do well at what you do. I don't know what it is that you do, but he wants you to be, do well and be prosperous at what you do. Uh, that's his, his burden, his yoke, is for you to do good. And that burden and that yoke should be light. It should be light. And so that's what we're going to unpack. Because if we say laser focus on being committed, everything else takes care of itself. I want to talk about David this morning. Uh, many of you guys know the story about David and Goliath, and that's what I want to talk about today. David was between the ages of 15 and 17, and uh, his brothers, he was the youngest child, his brothers uh, were out fighting a war against the Philistines. His father called him out from the sheep pasture and said, here's a, a bag of food, I want you to bring it to your brothers, feed them, they're probably real hungry, they've been out there fighting for several days now, I want you to go out there several weeks, I want you to go out there and bring them some food. Whenever he showed up, he was completely shocked by what he saw. What he saw was 
the army that was defending his country, the army that his brothers were fighting with, the Israelites, they were hiding. They were afraid. And he backed up and he said, what is going on here? Wait till I get home and tell dad that you're a chicken. What is going on? And, and that's where we're going to pick up reading right there. In 1 Samuel um, 17, verse 23. If you didn't bring your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Verse 23, it reads like this. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. I guess that was considered a reward. In those days. And the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. David, oh, y'all woke up on that one, huh? All of a sudden, hey, praise the Lord. I love this church. God is good. No taxes. Verse 26, David asked the soldiers standing by, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother... Eliab heard David, Eliab, sorry, heard David talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Verse 29, what have I done now? <laughs> kind of like we've had this conversation before, right? You're always riding my case. What, what have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. I don't know about you guys, but um, I, I saw something recently in that passage that I've never seen before. When David walked up, Goliath started yelling. And while Goliath started yelling... One of the soldiers on the Israelite army leaned over to David and said, Hey, whoever kills that guy gets, the Saul's, gets King Saul's daughter, gets a reward, and everyone in the family has to pay no taxes. And David goes just like this, No way. <laughs> You're kidding me. No taxes? He walks over to someone else and goes, hey, this guy over here just told me that whoever kills that guy, they get no taxes for the whole family. They get paid and a girl. Is that true? Yes. Oh, my. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not buying it. He goes to somebody else. Hey, um, is there a reward for killing that guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get uh, the king's daughter. You get uh, money. And uh, no one has to pay tax in your whole family. Three times. What's the reward? Uh, hold on. What did what, you say? Uh, excuse me. Did, did you just say what I think you said? I don't think that means what you think it means. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. He backs up and goes, well, hey, <laughs> no taxes. I get a girl and I get money. I'm in. <laughs> Give me a slingshot. I'll just take these five rocks right here. Let me have a piece of that guy. What was motivating him? The reward was motivating him. He backed up and said, I don't have a girl. I don't have any money, and my family is not, they're paying taxes out of their nose. Enough of this. See, every once in a while, some of us will back up and look at our life and go, I don't like it. I don't like, have you ever felt like a hamster in a wheel? We're just going to work, 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 and get this check that's not enough. Are y'all awake this morning? <laughs> it's not enough. And then you look at the, the load that you have, what you're doing for them, and you're like, I don't think you guys appreciate what I'm bringing to the table. <laughs> or is your boss in here or something? Because <laughs> you guys are like, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love my boss. I love they pay me so good that if they gave me a raise, I'd go, no, 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 no. I'm... <laughs> when you reach a place in your life where you go, I don't like what I have, and then all of a sudden somebody like me comes along and says, do you know that the Lord gets involved with people who are committed to them, and there are rewards attached? Amen. And then you back up and go, well... What kind of rewards? <laughs> what kind of rewards? To somebody who's 16 years old like David, you throw a girl in the mix, he's like, hey. <laughs> you become an adult and they say, oh, okay, hold on a second. I'm going to get money and I'm going to get a girl, but she's going to take all my money. So... <laughs> But when you're 16, it's like, I get a girl and I get some money. Yes, I'm in. Slingshot rocks. Let's go. What was the motivating factor? The motivating factor was rewards. As we get older, the rewards become different. The motivation becomes different. But at the end of the day, it's still the same. What's motivating us is we want God to step in and change things around in our life. Are you with me? That's the reward that we want. I don't know about you, but I've been to hundreds, probably thousands and thousands of church services, and at the end of the day, they all start feeling the same. One preaches a little bit better than the other. One worship is a little bit better than the other. But it's all the same. You worship, you give in the offering, you preach, you go home. You worship, you give in the offering, you preach, you go home. You go in one building, you go into the sun, blah, 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 blah. At some point, you got to back up and go, I want God involved in my life. Amen. 
That's, that's what I want. And I want the reward of him moving things around. And when God moves things around, he takes people that you don't know yet and brings them in your life. And then he takes people you do know, praise the Lord, and moves them out. We love you, God. We love you. You're a good God. So I want to talk about three things that causes a reward to take place. Number one, God rewards those who recognize the battle. Recognize the battle for what it really is. See, when David arrived, he saw his brothers and he saw the other Israelites. They were hiding. They were fighting, if that's what you want to call it. They thought that the battle was against Goliath. They thought the battle was against the Philistines. David recognized it for what it really was. He backed up and he said, this guy is cursing my God. This guy is trying to take territory, and he's a pagan. He's not even a believer. He recognized it for what it really is. And when you and I back up and we go, time out, what's happening here is bigger than what meets the eye. Satan, I smell you. I can't see you, but I smell you. Do you know what I'm talking I smell you. I raised, I'm going to talk to someone, I feel, I feel like the Lord wants me to share this with somebody. Some of you mothers have said, I raised that boy. That boy came out of my womb. I taught him how to walk. I changed his diaper. I told him the difference between blue, red, and green. I raised him, taught him how to read. And the way this little boy is acting, he's acting like a man right now. He's not a man. He's only X number of years old. It, it, I, that's not my boy. See, now you're getting quiet, and I understand. Because sometimes us parents, we look at our children and go, that's not the boy I raised. When Jesus was sitting, having his last supper, he looked at one of his disciples that loved him the most. His name was Peter. And Peter started talking to him and saying things that was contrary to the mission that was on his life. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Satan, get behind me. What he was saying was, Peter, I love you. You're my son in the Lord. But the enemy is using your words to discourage me and to get me off track. He could understand what was happening in the room. David could understand what was happening in the room. If you don't hear anything else this morning, realize this, that when you come walking into your house at 6.15 from work, and it feels chaotic. Sometimes the kids are just hungry, but other times there's... I smell something in the air, and it has nothing to do with the kids are being hungry. You can tell that there is Satan is in the territory. He's moving around. It's not the boss. It's that's not who you're fighting. You're not fighting the boss. You're not fighting Larry. You're not fighting Brian. You're not fighting Jennifer. You're not fighting Juanita. You're not fighting Juan. You are not fighting flesh and blood. You are fighting principalities. And when you back up and and go, hey, it's not Goliath. 
It's not the raise. It's not the job. It, it's something I can't see. The Lord begins to back up and goes, all right, there's a reward coming from you. There's a reward because you know why? A lot of people are spiritually blind. They don't see it. See, spiritual blindness is an epidemic that's going through the country. It's crazy. It's spiritual blindness. And, and I want to share with you that there's two types of spiritual battles that happen. Number one is the battle that's happening around us. It's happening around us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening. Don't be surprised. It's not strange that you're going through a tough time. That is not strange. Watch, I'll illustrate it. If an angel could come out of heaven right now, Stand right in front of you and say, the Lord has given me the authority to change whatever you want in your life right now. Do you have anything you would like for me to change? Do you have any problems that you would like for me to go away? Who here could raise your hand and say, I got something for him? Raise it real high. Come on. Don't lie. Don't lie. Real high. Real high. Real high. Come on. Real high. Let me see you. Don't be cool. Real high. 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 Now keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Everybody look around. Look around. Look around. Look around. Come on, rubberneck a little bit. Look around. Look around. Look at all the hands up. Now watch this. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. You see all those hands? Now put your hands down. It's not the other people that are having trouble that's strange. It's the people that didn't raise their hand. It's like, wait a minute. How come life is going so good for you? That's strange. The rest of us are going through it. My goodness, we're going through it. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, what you have is called a timeout. Enjoy it. That's when the Lord says, hey, give the guy a break. Hey, it's peacetime. See, in the Bible, there's wartime and peacetime. You're in peacetime. Enjoy it. Eat up. Have some Cinnabons. Enjoy it. <laughs> Peace time. You came out of a battle. You can stand up here and say, well, I've had my share of battles. You've had your share of battles. Enjoy it. The rest of us, we got our hands up because we're in the middle of one right now. And Peter says, don't think it's strange that you're in a battle. It's what's happening to you. That's the first type of spiritual battle. The second type of spiritual battle is not what's happening to you. It's what's happening in you. Watch this. This scripture right here in James chapter 1, verse 14. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. It's a temptation. When you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and you look over there and it's a 14-year-old driving his daddy's car and he's like, ha, ha, ha. And you're like, I'm going to kill that kid. <laughs> what is that? What is that on the inside of us? What are the temptations? The temptations to look at it, to touch it, to do it, to say it, to think about it, to go there. What is that? 
That is the temptation on the inside of us pulling us away. That's why Paul said, there's a war on the inside. What I want to do, I don't, I don't do. And what I, I don't want to do, I do do. There's a war. So there's two types of spiritual battles. There's one that happens to us. And then there's one that happens in us. And it's so important that we win those battles because if we don't, our faith will be shipwrecked. I'm not making that up. Watch this. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. What does that mean? There once was a time where their conscience was really high. Every time I look at it, my conscience gets pricked. See, your conscience is a gift. Some of us have been blessed with a conscience. And so when you do this or you say that, your conscience gets pricked. But when you bust through it and you do it anyway and you say it anyway and you do it anyway and you say it anyway, you no longer feel bad anymore when you do it. And then what happens shortly after that is that your faith in God begins to dissipate and go away. And it becomes shipwrecked. How do you know when you're on that edge? You ask yourself if you're spiritually blind. There is an epidemic called spiritual blindness. Let me share with you. In, in Luke chapter 24, verse 31, there were two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They were talking to each other. And then Jesus walked up to them and started talking to them. And suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Here's another example in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. I'm not going to read each one like I did in the first service tech team. I'm just going to kind of jump around. But Elisha, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Elisha looked at his servant and said, I'm going to pray that the Lord will remove your blindness so that you can see what else is happening. See, you can see physically, but can you see spiritually? You can take a spiritual blindness test to determine. It's two questions. The first question is, do you love what God loves? Do you love what God loves? And here's the second question. Do you hate what God hates? See, a lot of people love what God loves, but they don't hate what God hates. It's a spiritual blindness. Watch this. This is very important. In Psalms chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. There are people that they no longer love what God loves, and they no longer hate what God hates. They no longer, God loves worship. God loves people. God loves serving. God loves these things. He loves spending time with you. Do you love what God loves? Do you know that God hates certain behaviors? The Bible says that he hates a proud look. He hates a lying tongue. He hates feet that run swiftly to evil. It's not even a debate. I'll do it. It's swiftly to evil. Do you hate what God hates? We back up and we say, wow, where have the faithful people gone? The faithful people have vanished. They used to love what God loves. They used to hate what God hates. Well, where are they? Where did they go? 
they're vanishing from the earth. They no longer have those commissions, those convictions. They had them when they were a little boy. They had them when they were a little girl. What happened? What happened? I just want you to know, if you're in this room right now, and I just feel the Holy Spirit, if you're in this room right now and you're sitting there and you're looking at me and you say, I can't put it into words, but I feel myself desiring him more than I have in a very, very long time. I feel it. I just want you to know that is the Lord pulling you because faithful people have vanished. People don't even care about holiness anymore. And now he's looking at you and he's saying, I am pulling you. That thought, that desire, I desire the Lord. I want the Lord. The Bible says, like I said earlier, no man comes to the Father unless drawn by the Son. He is pulling you. It is not by accident that you're here this morning. Do you know there's 51 churches in the woodlands? 51. Do you know what that means? On every corner, it's either a bank or a church. And you ended up in this one? To hear this message right here. The Lord is pulling you to himself. He's pulling you. He's pulling you. He's pulling you. He's pulling you. He chose you before you chose him. He died for you before you chose to live for him. He picked you out. He saw you while you were in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He chose you. And you may say, Frankie, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how much he doesn't care about what you've done. He cares more about your direction than your position. He's focused on you. He wants to be involved in you. And he's saying, be committed to me. I'm pulling you. I'm pulling your heart. I'm pulling your spirit. Be committed to me because I want to be involved with you. And so he says this, number one, I will reward those who recognize the battle. Number two, I will reward those who fight in the battle. See, David said, oh, I know what's happening here. See, we can't stop right there. We can't stop just by saying, I know what's happening. Well, la-di-da-da. La-di-da-da. You know what's happening. Somebody give him a lollipop. Lottie Dodd, I know what's happening right now. You see, what's happening is that might just dropped my nose. I'll tell you what's happening. Lottie Dodd, what are you going to do about it? Somebody needs to get on their hands and knees and say, My son, my daughter are coming to heaven. I don't care how they're acting right now. I'm going to pray until I can't pray anymore. Somebody needs to back up like what, what, what David did. David knew, he knew, there's a guy in the Bible named David, after, he, after he, he knocked down Goliath, he became king. And he started desiring things that were not holy. He was wanting to do things that God did not want him to do. He wanted to just live in sin because he enjoyed sin. It was fun to him. And he had a big problem because he knew God didn't want him to do it. And so now you got a big problem. Because you love doing what God doesn't want you to do. And what happens in that situation? David backed up and he said this prayer in Psalms 119, 18. 
he cried out to the Lord, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold the wondrous things of thy law. He cried out. He didn't pray like he was praying for his oatmeal. Oh, Lord, thank you for the breakfast. No, 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 no. He said, oh, dear God, I want you to open my eyes. I'm seeing things, and I'm being convinced of things, and my emotions and my conscience is being seared. My decision-making is all wrong, but it's the way I'm seeing things. Will you help me to see like you see? I don't want to walk around blind anymore i don't know but when god looked down on him the lord said this is a man after my own heart was he mad at him for having sinful desires no he was proud of him for being so honest he was proud of him for being so hungry i want you to know the lord doesn't look at you and get angry with you because you wrestle with sin he doesn't look at you and get angry with you because you say things that you wish you didn't say he doesn't get angry with you for that what he does is he loves you because he sees that you wish things were different and he backs up and goes you are a person after my own heart. That's how wonderful and how awesome God is. So he's not only pulling you this morning, but he's changing you. You may think you're just sitting in a sanctuary, but you are in the presence of God. And without even realizing it, he is renewing you by changing the way you think. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. So God rewards those who fight in the battle. How do we fight? I am with many of you. I wish we could fight physically. I wish we could fight physically. I wish just for one hour, Satan would appear and about 50 angels would hold him down and I could walk up to him and just... I just wish, just for an hour, I could take a Louisville slugger and have a few angels just hold him and just stick his head up. Just, just for an hour. I wish God would give me the biggest sword in heaven. And just for an hour, they could just hold him down. And I could... Just for an hour, just bam. We cannot fight physically. The weapons of warfare are of the spirit. And I am saying this in January, the first month of the year. If there's anybody that's with me that says, I want the Lord. I've tried it every other way. I want the Lord. We're starting a 14-day prayer intensive tomorrow. When are we starting it? Tomorrow. tomorrow. What is a prayer intensive? A prayer intensive is when you commit to praying at a certain regularity with a certain level of passion that you may not be able to sustain for 365 days, but you can sustain it for 14. And what you're doing is saying, I'm going to pray 30 minutes a day, and I'm going to pray fervently 30 minutes. Now, some of you are like, 30 minutes? <laughs> 30 minutes? 
I thought he said 30 minutes. Here's the thing. If you pray through the prayer wheel, that 30 minutes will fly by. Let me just share with you. Uh, the first thing we'll do is, is color coordinated. The gold is for God. The orange is personal prayers. The green is prayers focused on Celebration Church. And red is focused on prayers about the world. So everything you could possibly ever want to pray about is in this prayer wheel. If you only devote two minutes per slice, you're going to come real close to hitting 30 minutes. That's if you only hit two minutes per slice. Now watch this. It's you repent. You pray for personal growth. Lord, open my ears. Cause my heart to be closer to you. You pray for your family and friends. Any petitions you may have. A new job. A healing in your body. Um, the unsaved. You begin to pray for people that don't know the Lord. You begin to pray for people that are saved. They're going to heaven, but they don't have a church home. And then you pray for the strengthening of the church, the will of God, our nation, and then you praise again. And for anyone here that says, I'm going to commit to that for 14 days, I'm going to do that. I want you to go to the website, the church website, and, and pick which days of the 14. Some of you may pick all 14. Some of you may only pick two. Pick which days that you're going to commit to praying. You say, why do I got to put it on the website? Two reasons. One, because you see your name and you're committing to it. And people who make commitments statistically do the very best they can to follow through. So once you make that commitment, you will do your best. Secondly, it encourages us to see a long list of names. And we think to ourselves, man, we're all praying about the same thing together. Now, in the fall, we do the prayer wheel. At this time of the year, we do the prayer wheel with a fast. If you don't understand what a fast is, listen to my sermon last Sunday. I talk about it in, in a relatively uh, a certain level of depth. Um, a fast is when you select certain foods that you're not going to eat for 14 days. You can choose to not eat any food. Uh, you can choose to only eat certain foods. I just ask you to pray about it. Make it an individual plan. Who cares what other people are doing? And then if you would, just say, this is what I'm going to do for 14 days. For me, um, I'm going to eat only vegetables and fruit and smoothies and milkshakes and bluebell. And that's, what, that's the only thing. That's the only thing I'm going to have for 14 days. And that's it. That's where I'm going to draw the line. Okay, that's where I'm going to draw the line. No, uh, seriously, though, I'm just going to have fruits and, and vegetables, um, and I'm still praying about coffee. I, I feel like the Lord might be asking me to give that up for 14 days, but as I mentioned last week, I'm not sure if that's the Lord or if that's Satan, so I'm still trying to figure, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. But it starts when? Tomorrow. 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 Here's the last thing I'd like to share with you. Not, not the last thing. Uh, no, yeah, this is the last thing I want to share with you. Um, God rewards those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. I've got um, uh, some jalapeno pepper seeds here. Does anyone here like jalapeno peppers? Oh, my goodness. Uh, how many people like the jalapenos being on your plate, but you don't like to eat them? That's how I am with cucumbers. I like the cucumbers on my salad, but I don't ever eat them. I don't know what it is. 
When I make my own, I always want cucumbers, but I don't like cucumbers because I don't know what they taste like. <laughs> like my brain is like, this doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> All right, that's, that's, that's sorry. Um, much like celery. What does celery taste like? Like cold grass is what. <laughs> but anyway, I've got some seeds of jalapeno peppers here. And um, what's fascinating to me is that, um, here, Lloyd, let me put some of these in here. here. I want you to take one of those. Just take one. Here, why don't you take one? It's hard to pick them up, right? They're small. Give me, uh, uh, David and Jamie, why don't you guys come grab one? Just one. Stop hogging them. <laughs> if you haven't met David and Jamie, you need to. They're funny. They are so little. I feel like, um, have you ever sprinkled pepper on your pizza? And those little flakes are about uh, how, it's, it's what these look like, they're, except they're yellow. I feel like that if I hold it close to my face, the breath of my words will blow them off my hand because they're so flaky and light. What's fascinating to me is that they're so flaky, they're so flaky and light but when I read the directions and I can put them underneath soil 12 inches, no, a one-fourth of an inch in depth, and I need to keep them 12 inches apart. I got to give them that much room to grow. So I haven't weighed how much soil of 12 feet for room and then one-fourth of an inch. I, I haven't weighed out that soil, but just for conversation, conversation's sake, let's say it's a half a pound worth of soil. This little flake right here has got to bust through a half a pound of dirt bust through. It's going to bust through that way and this way, horizontally and vertically. It's going to bust through a half a pound of dirt. Have you ever seen grass grow up through concrete? Have you ever looked at that strand of grass and like, how in the world did you get through concrete? Isn't it mind-boggling? You can step over seeds and not even know they're there, but they're strong enough to bust through at its proper time. What's fascinating to me is it, the Bible says that one man waters, another man plants, but God causes things to grow. 
and you can put concrete on it. You can put a pound of soil on it. But if God says that flake is growing, it's growing. And there's nothing anyone can do about it. It is growing. I want you to know that you may feel that you have a half pound weight over a certain situation or a 50 pound weight the size of a block of concrete. But when God backs up and says, you've been committed to me, I'm getting involved with you. I'm going to bust through the situation that you think is unbustable. God rewards those who diligently seek him. There's three types of followers that the Lord has. Number one is a hireling. A hireling is somebody that shows up to receive. An example of a hireling is when Jesus turned around and saw 5,000 people and he says, you guys are following me because you want me to feed you. He wasn't upset with them. He's just calling a spade a spade. You want me to feed you. Some of you have come walking through the doors today. You haven't been to church in a long time. But life is so difficult out there. You've showed up to say, God, I need you to put the pieces back together again. You've showed up to receive. I want you to know you've come to the right place because God loves to be involved. But it is in the hireling category. Others of you, you show up and you're in the servant category. You're not showing up to receive. You're showing up to give. In fact, you like to give. You enjoy being an usher. You enjoy helping with the children. You enjoy being a greeter. You enjoy worshiping the Lord. You don't just stand and wait to be blessed. You actually enjoy worshiping the Lord. You enjoy serving. You enjoy giving. And if I were to follow you around, you actually have these shots of, of, of endorphins that shoot through your body every time you do something nice for people because you're in that second category. You're a servant. Bible talks about that category in John chapter 12 verse 26 it says anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the father will honor anyone who serves me but then there's another category there's the hireling there's the servant and then there's a category called friends of God See, friends of God are people that God shares his plans with. In John 15, 15, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known unto you. See, some of you are in this room and your heart longs to just be his friend. You'll serve him. And you do have needs. But right at the top, you just want to be friends. You want to be friends. You want to spend time in his presence. See, more than any other part of the service, some of you are like, I'm connecting right now with what you're saying more than anything else because you are being called to not just be a servant, but to be a friend. God looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and he said, I'm about to destroy that city. But before he did, he wanted to talk about it with his friend, Abraham. I want to encourage you. Why don't we aim 
to be his friend. Let's be his friend.